Hey, I'd like to introduce you to the new listener support button. I'd like to actually do this without a whole lot of advertising. Now, I'm doing some advertising for the application that I'm using, and they give it to me free, and that's why you hear that. Also doing some advertising for the voting, because I believe in voting, and those are free advertisements. But what I'd like to do is actually make this site without advertisements, and the only way I can really do that is if I have sponsors or supporters. There is now a support button on the Anchor app. If you'd like to support the Garland Pepper Show, I would love it. And uh, make sure you let me know if you do so I can give you a shout out as being a supporter and a friend of the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Remember, I'd like to do this without advertising, so we can do this with supporters. Have a great day. Hey y'all, welcome to the Garden Pepper Presents Podcast. Today my guest was Dan Maletta. Dan Maletta is just a hard-working man, and he's the story of uh, every American uh, just trying to get ahead in life. He worked for years and years just slinging tires for Les Schwab, learned a lot about customer service the Les Schwab way. He's transferred those over to his new brewing company called Ratchet Brewing, which he started out of his garage. This is a good listen, you know, sometimes you meet somebody, and you're like, oh, I really like this guy, and... We did a show together because of that, and uh, I think you'll enjoy Dan also. So uh, listen up. You might learn a little bit about beer. You might uh, end up going over to Ratchet Brewing and having yourself a beer. Have a great day. Thank you for hanging out with Garland Pepper. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, everybody else, um, out there listening. Uh, this is the Garden Pepper Presents podcast, and I'd like to thank you all for coming out today. Today, my guest is Dan Maletta. Dan Maletta is a brewer here in Silverton, just opened up a shop. What's the name of that shop, Dan? Uh, Ratchet Brewery. Ratchet Brewery. What's the name Ratchet come from? Uh, I spent 23 years prior to getting in the brewing industry and the automotive industry, turning wrenches. So, kind of, you're, you're, You've always had a passion for cars? Yes. Yeah. And just machinery in general? Yeah. You know, started at you know young age, 14, 15, started tinkering with cars and moved it into a career. And then eventually the opportunity came up to take my other passion and do that for a career instead. It's a little easier on the body as well. Yeah, it is. Getting down on the ground and handling steel all day, um, typically in a garage that's cool because it's hard to heat a space. And if you got cars running, you really don't want to close the space. Um, unless you're working for, you know, a big factory shop like a GM, but they're still kind of cold, but those guys, you know, they've got the bays, they've got the, the big tubes for their exhaust. So you can run a car in there and stay warm. Exactly. Yeah. We, I definitely didn't have that where I was working. <laughs> you did uh, Les Schwab. Yes. Les Schwab was 23 years there. 23 years that's uh, you know those guys hustle that's a hustling job it is it is you're always pushing steel and rubber and the weather's always with you it's always right there yep rain or shine or snow Mm -hmm. (laughs) well at least with the snow you're the guys that are you know heating up around the world yeah that's a hopping time when everybody's trying to get snow tires or chains or whatever i've been there it's not fun no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Do you get bonus? Do you get bonuses on that? Does that make it worth it? 
Uh, yeah, the way their system works with their, I mean, we get a yearly bonus based off of the year is what we got. So it did always work out. It, it always did or it didn't based on no. the year, I guess. Yeah. Um, it depends on the store, but you know, if the store does good, then the bonuses are good. If the store does terrible, then the bonuses are terrible. Did so. you ever go into management? Uh, no, in that line of, or in that company, usually that requires moving. Um, and you know, it, but pretty much the whole time I was there, I had kids, so I didn't want to move my kids all over the place. And then once the kids were old enough, I really just didn't want to do it that much longer. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time to be uh slinging wrenches, man. You know, just yeah. listen to air hammers. Yes. Yeah. I've got some, uh, Good fingers and knees to show for it. Yeah, you hurt. Well, I mean, your job now isn't the easy physical stuff. I mean, moving wart vats around and you know and such. Yeah, I mean, there's some some grain bags you got to haul and move, but it's it's not nearly as uh, hustling of a pace as the auto industry and kegs. Yeah. So, if you work smart, it's not too bad. Use the pallet jack, use the forklift. You know. Get a buddy to lift the kegs if you can. It's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been brewing for a while then, haven't you? Yeah, I probably home brewed for, oh, 12 to 15 years <laughs> before we opened the Salem location up in 2017. Now, you were over there, there, like, what? I think you were behind Kmart. Where were you? Yeah, we're in between Madrona and McGillcrest on 22nd. Yeah. Um, so we're close to the airport, and then there's uh, Spinnaker Point, which has got the buildings that float out there on the lake. Mm -hmm. You can actually see the buildings or the lake from our driveway. Oh, okay. And so, how long have you been there? We opened so, there in De December of 17. So we're coming up on three years. You opened up as a brewery tap house or a brewery pub? How did you open that one? Um, so our license says we're a brew pub, but we don't, we didn't do food there at all at the beginning. Um, and now we still just do just real simple stuff. Like we got a hot dog roller in Salem. It's a, it's a real small little joint. It's only 1300 square feet. Is it where so the Hawaiian did... place used to be? No, Hawaiian time's still there. They're over on Madrona or I mean on, Mag on Mission Street. Oh, not that Hawaiian time. Like it was a little uh, like family style Hawaiian place that was there for a little while in a corner, right? Right, you know, right in front of Spinnaker. Right, well, I guess it's a block before Spinnaker, maybe. I'm not sure now. Oh, you're talking over by where Sandy Am is, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Not out, not out that far. But anyway, not so there's a lot of breweries right in that neighborhood. Yes, there is. Um, Salem actually called designated it last year the Salem Brewery District because there's was there five of us now. Well, Saw went down. I heard. Yeah, so I went down, but there's Gilgamesh, um, Bind, Sani Am, Sparky's, and me. Yeah, so there's five of us still there Okay. in that area. And then uh, there's also a distillery that just went in. Oh, a distillery? Mm-hmm. What kind? Uh, it's Divine Distillers. Are they, who it is. they do one product, or are they doing a couple? No, they do a bunch of different things. They do an agave. They do some agave spirits, some rums. 
Um, they do a few different things. Wow. How so, do you get agave up here? I think he orders it in uh, the juice form. Mm -hmm. Positive. So I think that's how he gets it, though. I think it comes in in like one of those, you know, those plastic totes, those 250 gallon plastic totes of agave syrup or something like that. So we got two things going on here. Um, one is you had a passion for brewing. And the other is you expanded that into a business. So let's go back yes. to passion for brewing and kind of how that started and who was your buddies when you got going on it or did you have a buddy and, and, and how, how bad was your first beer and that kind of thing? Uh, so what I started to notice, you know, I did for me, I did a lot of my troublemaking before I turned old enough to drink. And the time, the time I was 21, I already had a two-year-old and a one-year-old. So at that time, being 21 meant I didn't really go anywhere, and I was too broke at the beginning of my career to really buy anything but crap beer. Right. Then it eventually turned into buying, like, Blackview Porter and Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and some of the other Deschutes beers we could get. And I started <laughs> my there, but it was super expensive. You started so, making your own beer and it was super expensive to do so? No, this is when I was buying it. And then some. I started to hear about people home brewing, and they were always saying it was cheaper to do. So my wife went out one year for my birthday and bought me a homebrew kit. We brought it home. And the first kit was really easy. It was an old Cooper's all-in-one kit. It came with a can of wort and or a malt extract and the yeast. You just boiled it and went. And surprisingly, that beer came out pretty decent. What was it, uh, Pilsner? Uh, I think it was just a pale or a blonde. Mm -hmm. um, it was something super simple, and it came out good. Now, the next three or four after that, now that's a whole different story. They were There were some pretty bad ones in there. There was a couple that weren't even drinkable. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, uh, that sucks. You know, you think, oh, it's cheaper, it's cheaper. And then all of a sudden, well, I lost some money there. A lot right. of money. Yep, but I stuck with it and found a found a you know found a style that was easy for me at the time with two little kids and everything. If I did a mixture of malt extract and partial grain, I could make some really good beers. Um, it really wasn't that much cheaper, as though everybody says that. Right, right. <laughs> it was fun to do it myself. Um, you know, I did that for probably about ten years doing partial partial mashes and using extracts because of just the time frame with the kids. And as the kids got older, I got more time and we started doing whole grain at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's when everything kind of got crazy. And I was the guy that had 11 taps in his garage and was brewing 10 gallon batches. And I had the neighbors and everybody, everybody I could come across, come and buy to try beers and take beers home. It's a good way to through. make a lot of friends, man. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> the old rule in the neighborhood was if the garage door is open and I'm out there, the brewery is open for, for drinks. So, <laughs> Wow. Uh, so the teetotalers yeah. would have been just flabbergasted by you. Oh, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what, what led into it. And then um, – a buddy of mine that I've known since middle school, um, 
approached me one day and asked if I'd be interested in opening a brewery. And we sat down and spent almost two years trying to find a location in Salem and iron out some of the details. And we finally did it and opened in December of 17 in Salem. So this is a business guy, a guy yeah. that knew business more than you did. Right. Yep. He does the business side. I do the beer side. Oh, so nice. it works out. Is that still the, so you both looked for a few years and you found, um, this brewery, it was a pre-existing brewery in Silverton. It was the Seven Brides, and now it's Ratchet. Right. So Silverton, you know, of course, came oh, well, pretty much almost two years after we opened Salem. And uh, I had known the previous brewers here. And, uh, you know, we started talking once we heard the unfortunate news that they were closing. And we were able to make a deal. It might have been a touch faster than we were wanting, but we couldn't pass the pass up the deal and the space was already ready to go and knowing what it costs to do all the initial build out and stuff for a brewery, you know, this seemed was a little easier way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a big thing though. I mean, now when you, when you scale up and you do a second business and you know, you've got, you've got two pots now that you've got to kind of keep stirring. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, yeah. <laughs> Two pots is, is might even be putting it a little lightly. The difference from, you know, with Salem being so small, it was, you know, me and one other person pretty much did everything out there to when we got in here and started going. I think now we're up to seven or eight employees now between wow. the two locations. Yeah. You know, in Salem, we were producing, you know, 40 barrels of beer a year. This year out of Silverton, we're going to be somewhere between three and 400 barrels, probably. That's a nice scale. That's uh, that's 10 times, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's and wonderful. If it wouldn't have been for everything that's going on in the world right now and this year, it probably would have been closer to six or 700 barrels. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, because yeah, we took two months off for COVID. Is that what you wrote your plan on, though? 700 barrels, or is this actually pretty damn good that you're like, hey, we're doing, you know, 200? Uh, we were hoping to do 700 in the first year, first full year out of Silverton okay. was where we were for. Um, so not going to quite get there, but we'll get close, and then we'll get next year. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that's uh, – so you, then you got to buy some nice uh, vans to transport your kegs around in. Yep. Yeah. We, our delivery van. And then we also got a car for the, our uh, sales rep to drive. So they don't, you know, destroy their own personal car. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 And you don't have to pay mileage. It's probably cheaper to buy a car for them. Yep. Yeah. And, and went with a Prius. So it gets ridiculously good gas mileage. Mm-hmm. So, and so your sales rep just runs from, you know, place to place and makes orders or a lot of it online? Uh, no, it's pretty much just that. You know, she's uh, she's cruising between Portland and Eugene and uh, everywhere in between kind of in the I-5 corridor. Nice. So It's hard to mm-hmm. get a tap on. It, it's actually been not as difficult after COVID and everybody started opening back up. Um, it's actually been a little easier. <laughs> oh cool cool i mean yeah that's always been a challenging thing 
you know, unless you offer them a bike, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think what happened was is everybody kind of pivoted to cans and uh, kind of got out of the, the draft game there for a while. So it made it a little easier for us to go in and get empty handles that were sitting there because the other guys weren't putting anything into kegs. Mm, okay. I see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, so they were having a hard time getting in the standard beers because they were canning all their stuff because that's how people were drinking beer. And so they weren't available. And now you took advantage of that situation. Yeah, pretty much. That's nice. So, yeah, it, it's worked out really well for us. So wholesale has been going up and, you know, so that makes it good. Mm-hmm. So how's business been for you in terms of like you and your psyche? Um, was it a natural transition from the garage to the first thing or was it just like overwhelming? Um, I don't know if I would say it was overwhelming when we opened Salem. It was, it was, I think just as stressful as working in the garage, just a different kind of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I flowed into it pretty well. And I think it helped that I was, it was something I was, I think at the time, definitely more interested in, you know, if you'd asked earlier in my career, working on cars i was still really 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 into cars and after you work on other people's cars forever and ever you really kind of lose that focus a bit want to work on cars yeah exactly I totally so that. jumping into the beer game and it's it's something where you know i kind of explained it to a lot of people before is it's like you have the same customers you know between working on cars and selling beer but yeah. it's such a product that the experience is so much better on the you know the ownership side or the employee side or whichever way you want to say it to the towards those customers because they're coming in and asking for a beverage they're not coming in asking you to you know fix their brakes and then it squeaks the next day and now they're pissed off at you right so. <laughs> and, and you're and it's a lower volume situation so you know the right. risk the risk to happiness is much less you know if somebody has a bad meal or has a beer they don't like, most of them are just kind of going to go, yeah, it was probably tonight, you know, yeah. hopefully they come back. Um, but, you know, cars expensive. I went in to go get tires or just to get my tires rotated. And they're like, Hey, yeah, these tires aren't good. And I can't rotate them. I'm like, damn it. I, I can't afford new tires right now. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I got the Prius is due for tires. I was like, ah, when I saw the quote. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, I guess Costco's cheaper. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I've never done it. I mean, you probably, you know, it's just because you're at the company. Why would you go somewhere else? And it'd, it'd probably be disloyal. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would say it's disloyal for for me and what we're doing, uh, you know, with the brewery and the fact that my sales gal and the the delivery van are driving so far away. It's, it's one of those things. I know that if whoever's in either car has an issue, there's always a Schwab close by. That's true. You know, and, and, and that was kind of the whole thing. I mean, it's almost like a triple a, I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe you have to have a contract or whatever, but I was with the state and when my 
I had a tire just like deteriorate on me. It was an all weather tire. It just deteriorated while I was driving. And uh, our, our fleet manager called up Les Schwab out of Woodburn and they were there in 20 minutes and reset the tire. And they're like, Hey, don't drive on these all weather in the summer. I'm like it says all weather, dude. <laughs> that means all of it. I, apparently it just separated like the tread separated. It was crazy. Oh yeah. Was it a, was it a think, or charger? I, uh, no, it was a Ford fusion. I think, um, I know Ford, um, yeah, Ford Fusion. Okay. Yeah, I know uh, the state. Uh, might have been factory. Yeah, that or they had switched over. The state for a while was putting studless snow tires on all their cars and running them year round. That's what it was. Yeah. And exactly the snow what it was. do not like high temperatures on the road and they have issues. <laughs> Yeah, it, so, it 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 was scary. I was in the fast lane, and it just went, brrr, and I had to get over the slow lane, and you know, the whole front end of the cars dropped down. Yeah, a little stem riding on riding on the rim. <laughs> could, could hear it. Unless so, I was like, oh, just get to the other side of the road. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I had to get yeah. from the fast side to the slow side. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've done a few of those calls out there for stuff like that. It's not fun. <laughs> No way. So do they do that for all their customers or do you have to have like a special contract with them? No, they'll do it for anybody. If you call up and say you're stranded on the side of the road, you just pay the, you know, you just pay for the service call. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. They are a high service organization. Yes. And that's that's really cool. And so you learn some good skills from them that you have brought into this business, I would think. Yes, I, I definitely think so. I feel that I sell, you know, the way we go about our wholesale philosophy when we're out and about selling wholesale is different than what a lot of places do. Um, you know, like you mentioned before, how getting tap handles, you know, is, is tough and it can be. Um, and a lot of that is because because it's so tough to get it. You get a lot of high pressure salespeople out there that pressure, pressure, pressure you into doing it or use some sales tools that aren't the best at times, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it can be more of a, a trick or a show to get it. And, you know, we do a real, you know, it's a, we do it as easy and as friendly as possible. And if you don't want a keg, that's totally fine. We get it. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll keep stopping in and, you know, eventually, hopefully some point we get the opportunity to put a keg in. And then once we get the keg in, we'll follow through on, what we say and checking the keg and getting our kegs out of there. That's a big one that a lot of places absolutely are frustrated about is people leave their empty kegs forever and wait until they order another keg to come get it mm-hmm. because deposit and we don't do a sales a keg deposit because of that. I'd rather pick the keg up and bring it back and fill it so I can sell it to somebody else. than it sit at your bar for six months. Is so, there a way of knowing when a keg is empty? Like if a bar runs out of a keg or do you just have to run a route and check on them? You're usually running that route to check on them. Um, You know, the bar, and there's a big difference between the bar game and like a tap house. Um, Tap house, of course, they're rotating those handles. You're usually not going to get, you know, one beer on and then fall with another one of your beers. They're going to blow your beer and go to 
something else because it's trying to rotate. Mm -hmm. So those variety. Yep. Those ones are just going in and catching it when it's there. There is some, you know, like the digital menus that some of the tap houses use like digital pour that shows. Will they notify you? Some of them will, depending on the location. Um, But we try to get everybody with that either once or once a week or once every two weeks as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then usually the bars, if you get a handle on at a bar, you should be in there at least once a week checking that because as soon as you leave it empty, they'll find somebody else to fill it. So, yeah. And bars have, they get loyalties. Mm-hmm. Whereas a tap house is about, you know, an exploratory palette. Right. But a bar is where Bob goes every day and, and Bob always wants the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tap houses nowadays, just because there's so many of them and stuff like that are definitely starting to take, um, take some of those, you know, regular drinkers that stop in every day or every other day. Um, and you, you'll find some tap houses that will carry a handle will always be the same or something like that. But, yeah. Usually, if they don't keep it the same, they'll put something on one handle that that regular guy will always drink. And you just have to know your customers at that point. Right. You just have to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you can get Budweiser at McMiniman somewhere. At the Edgefield. Probably. In one of the bars. Because, mm-hmm. so. you know, there's going to be that guy. And that's his beer. It's the mm-hmm. only beer, by the way, I cannot drink. <laughs> I literally can drink every other beer. Um, I don't know whether it's Beechwood or Rice, but it's just, it, it, it's, uh, it, it reminds me of what divinity is to candy. Budweiser is to beer. It's just too much of whatever it is. It's gross. God, I couldn't even tell you the last time I had a Budweiser. Uh, I, I can. I was hanging out with my buddy Tad, and Tad loved Budweiser, and he would buy the 16-ounce cans, the tall cans, and I'd hang out with him, and he'd hand me a beer when we first got there, and I'd hang out with him for about an hour, and there'd be about a quarter of it gone, and I would only kind of sip it when he was looking my direction, <laughs> <laughs> and then I would just hold on to it till it was warm and disgusting, and, and then I'd be like, ah, oh, thanks for the beer. You want another one? No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah that's, that's beer we're talking about it's i should just it, i mean usually it just goes down my gullet like water yeah i i can't drink the light beers at all whether it's Coors light bush light miller light any of the light beers they just fill me up with bubbles mm. and the, i just feel like i'm bloated after one of them and i it's just like oh it's horrible yeah so but, do you have a do you have a mentor in your life like somebody you go to for all things wise? Uh, not really. Um, at least not anymore. Um, I used to used to go to my uncle for most things when I was looking for advice. Um, but he passed away about five years ago. So anymore, not really. But That's kind of sad when those people leave us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was way too young. One of those, you know, crazy deals. Mm-hmm. Undiagnosed heart 
condition that nobody ever knew about and he didn't know. And one day mowing the lawn and just heart decided it didn't want to work no more. Wow. So, yeah. I, wor- I, I worry about that one with me. I don't know. I don't know that I have heart disease, but like you say, it was an underlying thing nobody even knew about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my paranoias, you know, it's just like, am I just like, how many days, what day is it? Like, is there just going to be a day where it happens? You know? Yeah. You don't know. You don't no know. You don't know. And kind of, and that's actually kind of comforting at some level, because if it happens, you're the last one to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really don't know. And nobody really knows what happens on the other side. There's a lot of ideas about it, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. Until you're there, you don't know. <laughs> Until you're there, yeah. you don't know. Yeah. So you've uh, so you went from two employees to eight employees. Yes. So what systems and structures do you put in place? You know, when you were working at at um, at Les Schwab, they had a very strong training program, so that you had to learn the Les Schwab way to do it right. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct, right? Yes, that's very much the way it is. So, are you doing something similar at your business? Um, yes and no. Not not so so much as that. There's one way and one way only to do it. Uh, uh-huh. You know, and I I was always one that kind of fought that system a little bit when I was at Schwab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. So, um, but you know, it's it's. It's more of, you know, when, when we hire like a new tap room staff, it's, you know, for me, it's going over the way we treat the customers, how we treat the customers, what we're trying to do with the customers, you know, and the proper way to pour the beer, make sure the glassware is clean. Um, so that way that type of thing happens. And then, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm not a big, you know, in, and even something that came from Schwab was Schwab wasn't a big, um, or at least the store that I worked at, you know, you weren't micromanaged over everything. You know, we had one manager, one assistant manager, the guys that had been there a long, long time that knew the job were kind of, you make sure the younger guys are doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, I shouldn't yeah. have to come out and make sure as a manager and assistant manager that I'm out there, making sure these brand new guys are doing it the right way all the time. You work with them all the time. If they're doing it wrong, explain to them how to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that's yeah. Kind peer of management is, is the best. I mean, if you can set expectations at the peer level, I think you're going to have a lot more um, success. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's man- grow with it. You know? Right. Right. I mean, management, if you start managing too much, then all of a sudden you're micromanaging and then you're going to, yeah, I mean, that's just a setup. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what itself is that resistant nature to, you know, too much structure. Like, let me be human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've learned over the years as well with the Schwab thing that, you know, you know, somebody else can come up with an idea that makes way more sense than, you know, what's being taught to you. And if you can explain it in a way that makes sense and show that it's a better way to do it, you know, it's a good idea. So not listening to your employees when they have ideas, 
is worse for the company than it is to listen to those people instead of thinking that you know more than everybody else. Well, exactly. I mean, if I'm involved in a process and I think the process can go better and I've thought about it myself as a person and I come to you as the boss and say, hey, I've been thinking about this process and I, I think we can improve it by doing this. And you go, wow, I hadn't thought of that before. That's a great idea. Or you go, well, I've thought about that before and this is why it doesn't work. But, exactly. But you have to give them credit for thinking about the job in a way that that will bring value in the end, you know, at some point. So you yeah. can't squash somebody and go, well, that's a stupid idea. I already thought of that idea and it was stupid. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you think that, but you can't do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things we think that we shouldn't say. Right. The key is just remembering not to say them at times. Yeah. I, somebody should have told me that years ago. I've, I've gotten in trouble <laughs> so many times. So, yes. So, so many yeah. times. Yeah. I learned it way at Schwab in my younger years. What was, what was that? Just to bite your tongue? <laughs> Just don't say it. Just don't say yeah. the thing. Yeah. Just don't say the thing. You, 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 know, you get that one customer with something and you're just like, oh, God, no. Mm-hmm. And you're so, too young. Better. So moving from small batches to big batches, it's just measurements at this point. But do you find that you're scaling up? There's there's some differences that are challenging that like this beer always tasted like this in small batch, but now it tastes like this in big batch. What's different? Or is that a thing or all up? seamlessly no there's definitely some challenges um but it's different than uh, i shouldn't say it's different it's it's usually the same challenge every time you scale up a new beer is the grain side for the most part will scale you know just right up the scale so you know if you're doing a one gallon and you jump to a 100 gallons you know you just multiply the grains you know, by that, and it'll be the same, mm-hmm. you know, took 10 pounds of grain for a one gallon batch. It's going to take a hundred gallons or, you know, a hundred pounds of grain for a hundred pounds or hundred gallon batch. So it's pretty easy, but when it gets difficult is when you're starting to worry about your hop utilization changes. So your bitterness can go up or down fairly easy um, when you're doing that. And, trying to figure out how many hops for the, you know, how many pounds of hops for dry hops. It's not exactly a direct scale in the hop side. Okay. Um, now, is that due to the fact that, I mean, hops have different, they have different flavors at different times of the year and, and as, and the longer they, they've been held, you know, in, in refrigeration. Um, but what do you think of the factors in, in making hop less hops, less measurable and scalable? Have you um, figured it out? Yeah. The, the biggest key is just, it's in the, it's in the system that you use. Um, as the brew house gets bigger, it actually utilizes the hops that you put into it in a better fashion. Um, more contact space in there. Right. So you're using, 
and and I think that's the biggest key um, is just the, in the fact that usually the equipment is a lot better as you go into that larger scale. You're getting more contact area, so the amount of hops needed usually goes down. And figure the the sweet spot there. You know, when we first started out here, our first couple of batches of Moto Fluzy, our Blondale, and our IPA came out a little bit on the bitter side. Mm-hmm. And we, we've had to scale them back over the next few batches to get them back to where we wanted them. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to tweak the the dry hopping amounts a little bit to get it to where we wanted it exactly. Um, but like you said, another one is, is it makes it even tougher when you're, um, you know, when you're in a small, I mean, even this system here in Silverton, it's a larger system, but we don't brew, you know, two, four, 6,000 barrels a year. Mm-hmm. So even though I have contracts for my hops, I don't get to pick the lots for those hops. Mm-hmm. So they, <laughs> so, you know, one time when I order a batch of Citra, it might be Citra from... Oregon, mm-hmm. and then the next could be Citra from Idaho, oh. or it could be from Washington, you know, or a different farm in Oregon that picked it, you know, five days later than the other one, mm-hmm. and the flavor profile is slightly different. So you do have those deals. So when you're at this level and you're trying to consistently make the exact same beer, it can always be that challenge because of the hops change a little bit just because I can't go in and say, okay, I'm buying 800 pounds of citra hops this year and I want them all to be from this field. Mm-hmm. I'm just at that point yet. <laughs> that, makes a, that makes a difference. It does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and that's something pretty much every brewery that brews under 2,000 barrels a year fights with. Um, so that's the magic, that's the magic marker there, huh? That 200,000? At 2,000 barrels a year, you're going to get a select, the hops you use them some of the hops that you're using the most of possibly um that's pretty much kind of going to be the entry level to start going and doing hop selection but even at that point everybody that does does more more barrels than you is going to get a pick before you (laughs) oh so so it's still a lottery basically lottery yeah but at least you could go in and say well i like this one here Mm-hmm. So for the year, I know I'm going to get this exact flavor. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there is that. So, you know, that, that whole consistency thing that a lot of people talk about with the smaller brewer, breweries and stuff, when they've got the same beer all the time, if it's slightly different from batch to batch, that's kind of the way it's going to be. It's hard not to. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of variables, isn't there? Yeah, there is, you know. So, like, we're going to do probably 100 barrels this year alone of our Deuce Coop IPA. And it's it's pretty close every time. But there's, you know, just slightly different aromas and slightly different, you know, taste to it. Just because, you know, one batch to the next, it's a different lot of hops. <laughs> yeah. So. So that's, that's been a fun experience for you then. Um, learning to scale up and, and challenging what happens when you make a, a batch that's just a little extra hoppy it sells slower um it depends on on the beer um if it's too far away from what the beer is supposed to taste like well if it's a blonde uh, that tastes like an ipa because the bitters are high then 
your blonde customer might not like that, but your light IPA person might enjoy it. Exactly. So therefore, if it's still a good beer, you're changing it up and rebranding it from whatever you were brewing. Um, luckily, we haven't had that happen mm-hmm. too much. Um, you know, the blonde that we did was a little bit on the on the more bitter side. It was nothing totally crazy out of out of whack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, and if it's just not good, it just goes down the drain, and we start over. Oh, that's got to be painful. It can be, yeah. It's just like watching dollars go down the drain. Here you go. Just yeah. Eat it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably yeah. good for the sewage system, though. Yeah. Yeah. As long as, as long as you balance it out and make it on the alkaline side, that's what they're all after when you talk to the city. Okay. They want it. <laughs> if it's too acidic, they don't like it in their pipes. So as long as you, you know, keep the alkaline level up and everything, they're fine with it. But, you know, any brewery that says they don't ever dump a batch of beer, um, you got to really question that. I I know all the big ones do it. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So um, in our first year here, we dumped 45 barrels down the drain. Oh, my God. That's a lot of, that's a lot of beer. It's a lot of beer. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's better to dump it down the drain than put a product out that you don't want to attach to your, to your name. So. Well, yeah, a customer's worth more than a barrel. I mean, you think yeah. of one customer, if you get one good customer over life, that's definitely worth a lot more than a barrel. And, <clears throat> you know, bad product is the easiest way to lose a customer. Exactly. You know, um, yeah, you do one bad beer and it's going to take, you know, 10 beers. You know, that customer that didn't like that one beer, he's going to drink 10 before he decides you're a good brewery again. Mm-hmm. That have to, at least, that's if he comes, he or she comes back. So, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, you, yeah. You lose the money on that side. So you gain it in the long run. That's, mm-hmm. gonna be, that's a scary thing. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it depends on how well leveraged you are. I mean, for me, it'd be like, oh, geez, every penny counts, you know? Um, so you have two kids? I do. Yeah. Yes. How, how old are your kids now there? Uh, 22 and 20. What are they up to these days? Uh, one's uh, down in Eugene going to school and working. Um, the other one works in Salem and is uh, just moved back home. <laughs> oh, yeah, the whole moving back home. Yeah. So my so. 19-year-old's finally looking at moving out. Starting to discover that it's pretty expensive, but she really wants to move out because she's tired of us and we're tired of her. And we, we all love each other. We want to keep it that way. So she's going to be moving out here eventually. And it's kind of fun watching her blossom out, you know. But I fully right. expect at some point she'll be back for a while, you know. Just it's, there's, it's, it's tough out there when you're young these days. It's, it, it's really expensive it to is. make it. And, and the basic paycheck barely covers it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he actually was out on his own for a year. And uh, the end of their lease came about, oh, was it May? End of May, so middle of COVID. The real, you know, hard part of COVID, and he was laid off and everything. So it's like just, it's kind of a mutual thing. He was like, hey, what do you think if I came home? I'm like, yeah, just come home and yeah, wait until this all goes away, and then we'll figure out where you're supposed to go next. (laughs) Once they've been out, they don't want to be home, you know. No. 
they'll be there as long as they need to, and and they'll be looking for a way out for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, to, to move on to get out of the nest. I mean, at least most of us. Yeah. Well, they don't like the you know. I, I mean, I know mine doesn't like to do the the chores that he gets he gets told to do every week, and he's like, "Ah, oh, man, why do I have to do that?" Because you live yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the thing. It's part of being part of the team, yeah. helping the team. So, but no, it's not. It hasn't been too bad. Yeah, and you've been married this whole time. Yeah, we're going on twenty twenty three years in December twenty. And, and you got married in high uh, school? Just after. Just after? So. Yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing. Those don't no, always they don't. last. So most of my friends are all going through one or two, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you beat the odds. You guys, uh, it must have been a thing. It must yeah. Have been the right thing. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so who is your... Did, are, are you a Beatles fan? That's a funny band to bring up because I am not really a big Beatles fan, but my wife loves the Beatles. Yeah. No, she loves the Beatles. Oh, you I'm are not. not a Beatles fan. So, not that uh-huh. I think they do good so, music, just not. So you're Donnie and Marie, but Flip. Yeah. She's a little bit rock and roll, and you're a little bit country. No, country guy. I go the other way completely. She's a little more. Uh, light rock and roll and likes like classical music and like Peter, Paul and Mary and stuff like that. And then I'm a, I like punk rock uh, seventies through the nineties, rock and roll, you know, bands, Uh uh, a little bit into heavy metal, depending on who it is. I'm a big fan of when it's a lot of screaming, but you know, no, so yeah. yes, it's a little different. I had a country phase for a little while. Uh, I I love old country. I mean, I grew up with you know Charlie Pride and Willie and Waylon and and Johnny Cash and you know just a bunch of them old timers. You know uh, Buck Owens and, and and those guys. That that's my style of country that I liked. It it just was country for country's sake at some at right. some level. And I really like that stuff. The new stuff, it reminds me of the rock and roll I, I kind of didn't like. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's rock and roll with a twang and some yeah. attitude. Yeah. It's weird. I yeah, don't I, I'm it. right there with you. I have no problem listening to David Allen Coe and Willie and Lynn and Hank um, and stuff like that. But the new country to me is like, to me, it feels more like pop country. Like I should be. It is pop country, and they're all formula. Yeah. And it's just not beautiful anymore, no. you know. Um, Merle Haggard, you know, that kind of stuff. I just loved it all, you know, all that old shit. But um, it, it that, those days are gone. Uh, I, I've always liked punk rock and um, New Wave. Uh, I kind of – kind of got away from rock when it went to hair bands actually i was just like oh i don't like that stuff that much and so i went on to new wave and punk was was my direction and it was weird what they called punk back then because it's definitely not punk now like they used to call adamant punk and adamant's not (laughs) punk no yeah and it's funny you talked about how you went away from rock when hair band 
So, so I should have been huge into the hair bands because I was born in 78. So that late 80s and early 90s hair bands was, you know, right in my wheelhouse. And that's when I absolutely hated most of the hair band music. I didn't get into it till 20 years later. Yes. Really? So in my, no. in my youth, it was <laughs> punk and like Zeppelin and the Who and the King. And this, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, then we yeah. rolled it into the Ramones and social distortion and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And then I came back around in my 30s, late 30s, to listening to, you know, Motley Crue and Poison, you know, and Dawkin and all those bands from the 80s. Really? Like, did you have a friend that was into it? Because that's not a normal transition. That's. <laughs> teenager music in a way so what happened was is that the old schwab we were very limited on what radio stations we could listen to and the one guy that seemed the old guy in the shop he kind of ran the radio and he was a giant as i called it when we first started listening to it to the buck yeah rocker and uh because he was like three years older than me so he was even more right into the wheelhouse for all the the hair bands and that was the station he'd put it on because it's always safe music. I mean, you very rarely do you get, you know, a cuss word in a hairband song. You know, they wrote them to yeah. play them on the radio. Right. That's right. They're, so yeah. we would start listening to it. It would just be on. And then the more you listen to it, you really listen to it. And you're like, you know, it's it starts off with this isn't really that bad. I still like to be about it, but it's really not that bad. And then when you realize how many of those songs you know from whether it's a movie or you heard it a bazillion times on the radio or whatnot. You're like, right. they're just kind of classics. You know these songs. Well, if you want to do the 80, if you want to do an 80s movie, you throw yeah. those in, right? I mean, because they, they are the essence. They are that time. And, and yeah. that's what you do. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was a weird deal. I, like I said, I got into the hair bands way late and I was really disappointed because we had tickets to go to the Montley Crew Poison Death Leopard John Jet show up at uh, where the Mariners yeah. play, and it got uh-huh. canceled. Oh, during, during COVID, yeah. So, oh, but, yeah, yeah, it sucked. Hopefully, it'll happen yeah. next year. They did. Yeah. They claim they're just postponing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. So that's what you're into still. That's you're still in. Oh yeah. Now. So like in Salem, the only station that's played at the Salem Brewery is Hair Nation on Sirius XM. Um, Silverton, we've we've <laughs> changed it up out here. We started with just the Hair Nation, but we throw it on every now and then and kind of rotate through some stuff in Silverton. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Silverton's a hairband town, man. It might might not be your market. Yeah, well, you'll see. I imagine. You know, hair hairband is yeah, I don't know. It's funny, it is but I it it just wasn't my thing. And I, I, I have several friends who are like, Oh, I love it. You know, they just love it. It's their favorite. And I get it. It but I always called it you know what I called it? I always called it cheerleader rock. Yeah. Because it sounds like they're basically cheering all the mm-hmm. time. We're gonna rock, rock, you know, it's just like ah. Yeah. It, you know, uh, and then yeah. maybe it was just kinda it, you know, you look back to the eighties and you look at the way you know, the, the hair band was still the, the, you know, was still the major part of rock and roll, but you were getting infringed upon, 
by you know the new age stuff that was coming through you know like the flock of seagulls and all these one hit with these uh-huh. bubbly synthesizer tunes you know that was infringing on the rock and roll and i think that was a part where you know everybody thought the rockers were deadbeats and losers during the 80s you know so see but then like when it came back around to grunge so i i went new wave and punk and like the thing you're saying oh, it was bullshit but i liked that because uh, I didn't like the hair pants. And, you know, you end up with talking heads and things like that. I mean, some fun stuff. Yeah. Elvis Costello. And I don't know. That's the direction I went. Um, the, lately, I've been getting into, like, uh, I don't know if it's even called goth or whatever. I mean, like, the, the, the Cure and T-Rex and just some old stuff. T-Rex is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Have you ever listened to T-Rex much? I mean, Bang a Gong is one. Everybody yeah, knows. I've heard the name, but I haven't really listened to much of it. So it's in, it's it's out there music, and the beats are all over the place, and the singing is is just intense and top. I you might like it. Actually, it has a hair band kind of feel. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, think about Bang a Gong. <laughs> You know that song, I've heard right? Get it on, bang a gong, get it on. I didn't do that no. justice at all. I know which song you're talking about, though. <laughs> yeah, so I've been listening to them. They're pretty cool. Um, and then, of course, I, I, I've been making lots of friends on Facebook who are musicians because some of my shows have been of musicians. And so then those people start following <laughs> me. And so, you know, that's that's been interesting because I get to experience other people's stuff. I, I listen to this punk rock from from uh, Australia. And if ACDC was a punk rock band, uh, this would have been the band. I mean, it was just, oh, my God, there was like 20 minutes of just the F word, like <laughs> not 20 minutes. But it was just like, you know, this and that. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is right. Funny. Well, yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, and the thing that I enjoy with punk so much is it how many different styles of punk there is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, most of the time, I, it's, I listen to what they, they call pop punk, you know, the Ramones, and then you get into like the Automatics and uh, Mr. T and the Experience and Sicko. They're smaller bands, but it's all, you know, it's more bubbly punk. So it's, yeah. And it's almost, my brother's band does Salem punk yeah. rock. City of Pieces. City of Pieces from Salem, yeah. Yeah, that's my brother's band. David oh. Fox. Well, him and him and the other members, him and Karen yeah. and Doug. Good old Doug is over there at the space, and they're opening another place downtown, aren't they? They are. They're opening the Infinity Room, and it will be music and comedy. So they joined forces with the Infinity Room, which was a comedy place. Um They've been working it up, getting it ready. Um, Summer's getting the kitchen all ready. And uh, I think they're going to be doing shows here. You know, I don't know when because uh, I think there has to be some social distancing and it's an indoor only place. So I don't know how that works in an indoor space, but I imagine they're figuring it out. Is that the old uh, Cherry City Theater or Cherry City Comedy Club? Yes, I think it's the same spot. So it's right there on commercial across from what parking garage or yeah something? there's the parking garage there and then 
Bentley's is or Bentley's Grill in the hotel. Yeah, and then there's that other building. I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, right there. It's a it's an interesting space the way it's laid out inside there. Doug Doug has been promoting music in Salem for uh, fifteen maybe no, twenty he- years and just putting his whole heart and soul into it. He's had two spaces um, and is you know sponsored the Great Idea Festival. He's an amazing human being. We tried to do a show, but um, we had, you know, like the problems we had, you and I, when we tried to hook up, yeah. we had like an, a half hour of those and we were just like, you know, forget mm. it. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. No, Doug's awesome guy. I've met him a few times and talked with him uh, going to shows at the space and stuff like that. And then, you know, I love the fact that what he does with the Cherry City or River City Rockstar Academy for the kids is killer. Mm-hmm. Um him and uh, I think Jared Venti is also part of that one. Yeah, there's there's quite a few of them that are part of that. I think. Yeah, it uh, seems like everybody that's big into into music in the Salem area is part of it, which is great. So it really is, you know, it gives kids something mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up in Salem? Yeah, I grew up in Kaiser, um, Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, did that whole thing, and then as soon as my wife and I were old enough. And together and married, it was time to move. We moved to Salem, we went to South Salem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did. Got, got out of the, got out of yeah. Kaiser. So Kaiser was always kind of weird I, and not much happening. <laughs> it it's always been a city that lacks a core. It has no identity. It's whatever corporation came in and made it Kaiser. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what happens when you take a, you make a city by basically complaining enough so the other city just says fine go away which pretty much what happened because kaiser used to be salem oh he did and and they didn't like salem so they went away yeah they they had a group of people that wanted to make kaiser its own thing and instead of being part of salem so in i think it was 84 i think is when it happened really so it's pretty recent kaiser's not that old um were they going to make a libertarian society? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They, they you know, they they pulled themselves out of the Salem Public Library system, which is amazing. Right. Well, that's they put and their so, own library in. Right, but you know, it's based on donations. Yeah. Like I said, Kaiser is an ancient. <laughs> yeah. I spent eighteen, nineteen years in Kaiser. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't, wait, and to I couldn't wait to get out. You went all the way to the big city. Of I Salem. went to the well. What's funny is, is if you go north through Kaiser, certain parts of it on the other side is Salem again. Oh, really? Oh, by yeah, the river? by the river, and like the city of Salem pumps all of its uh, sewage goes all the way through the city of Kaiser to Salem's wastewater treatment plant, which is outside on the north side of Kaiser, but that's city of Salem property. And then, yeah, there's all sorts of weird rules they have. The city, I don't think the people of Kaiser really got the better end of the deal. They'd be able to come their own, their own city, so because they're landlocked now. <laughs> <laughs> they used to have waterfront property. Yeah, it's just. I mean, they've got nowhere to expand until Salem decides to expand. They can't. Uh, yeah, no, they really. can't apply for an urban growth boundary until the city of Salem does, and Salem still has quite a bit left to. To build before they oh so 
oh, okay. So that's why they put in these high tax things over by the mm-hmm. highway. So they could get, but they probably wrote off all the taxes to get them in. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, you know how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. Oh, man. So this has been a pretty fun recording. Yeah. Have you had I a have. good time? It's been a good time. Yeah? So. So I'm going to ask you the big question. Okay. So given your talent, skills, and abilities, and those are different for each of us, and we all can bring something new to the table, uh, what do you bring into the table to make the world a better place? Uh, right now, I'm bringing the best beer I can make to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to do a few things to help out with some of the firefight, you know, the wildfires that are happening. Um, we did a bunch of donation driving around for that, pickups and hauling, and then we're getting ready to do a uh, a beer with um, Deschutes Brewing and some other breweries that will uh, be a benefit for the wildfire relief. So, oh, yeah. Nice. So we're going to actually probably brew that next week, um, and then it'll go into um, we're sending a small portion of it over to Bend in cans to go in a variety pack that Deschutes will sell. And then we'll have it on here where a portion of the proceeds and everything will go right straight into um, wildfire relief for the local area. So doing stuff like that. Always trying to, trying to give back to the community whenever, whenever we can. Um, so that's, that's been your style then you've uh, been when you've received bonus you've you've shared or figured out ways yeah we try to figure out as many ways as we can you know through the through the company to help out you know in any way we can with the you know with the community um this year has been a little tough just with everything going on um but i mean also it's been tough for a lot of the the community things that you would normally help with you know like the schools for different programs that right now they're not really happening so it makes it tough um but yeah, strange days mm-hmm. indeed. You know, and that's another thing I kind of learned from the Schwab days. You know, something the Schwab company, you know, never, never, you know, touts about how much money they put back into the communities they're in. But that company spends so much money every month on, you know, anything from stuff going to programs for schools to the 4-H programs locally to, you know, county stuff. Um, Schwab's. Mm-hmm. so much money that people have no idea how much they put back into the communities that every one of those stores is in. It's, it's crazy. That, that sounds great. I mean, and, and, you know, it's interesting that some companies really punch that stuff out there. Like, Oh, I did something nice, but you know, you don't hear about that with less. Yeah. And there was always something that always came up in our meetings. You know, you'd have a group of people that'd be like, why don't you, you know, go out there and say, you know, they, their philosophy was always that it's not about touting our horn that we spend all this money. The people that know, know, you know, and if you don't, you don't know, but we're still going to do it. Um, That was kind of the way I was brought up. That's why I always have a hard time in interviews because in an interview, you're supposed to like tout your greatness. mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I was not brought up that way. You don't like, talk about yourself in grandiose ways. It's, you know, you, you, you see my work. That's, that's my statement. Right. 
Um, and, and in an interview, they don't have the benefit of seeing your work. So you have to tell them how great you are. And it's always so uncomfortable. Right. No. And that's exactly the same for me. I was never, you know, you don't doubt your own, you know, own horn. Um, you know, I, you know, it's fun to do some of these projects and it's great to get the word out there, but it's more to get the word out in, in these projects that we're doing so that people buy the product, then they can enjoy the product. And then that proceeds goes towards it. It's not necessarily touting our own horn. It's just trying to, you know, push the product out there as far as it can go and, you know, get as many people to get out to as many of the places that are working on this project to do it yeah so well this has been a good podcast i'd like to thank you for coming out today and uh and talking with me um i'm trying to get down to an hour on some podcasts because the uh system's starting to get wonky with me i've been doing the twos and it's pissing them off yeah they like an hour I'll admit, yeah. I am more likely to stay involved and entwined into one that's about an hour than I am the ones that go longer than that. <laughs> yeah. So the thing about uh, about uh, podcast, though, if you are tuned into it and it just goes on every time you get in your car, then it's a series, right. even though it, you know, because you're just listening to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dan, I wish you the best of luck with your business. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It was a good time. It really was. I learned a lot about brewing, and I think we learned some things about best practices in business, and I think we learned that uh, we have similar yet different tastes in music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and uh, I had a really good time getting to know you better. I hope our audience did as well. Yes. Now, if y'all are listening to this... Um, and you really enjoyed the show, go ahead and share it on your social media. I could really use that. That would make life really good. And if you really enjoy the show in itself, go ahead and subscribe. Now, you know, then you won't miss a show. Like I've got interesting people all the time. I don't even know how interesting they are sometimes until I interview them, but they always end up interesting. So uh, go ahead and follow and subscribe to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Oh, by the way, I do have like a new sponsor button on there. It's costing me more than it should to make this happen, but I really want to bring better qualities to the show, and so I've been spending money to do so. So if you want to sponsor the show, there's a little tab on there, and you can uh, sponsor me, and that would be awesome. I'd be really appreciative. Um, Dan, thank you very much. Thank you, and we'll uh, talk again soon, Gary. All right. You have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye. Hey, y'all, I'd like to welcome you to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. It occurred to me just the other day that, uh, you know, I haven't been as kind as I need to be to everybody out there. And so I'd like to apologize for myself to the universe and to everybody else who uh, who, who needs me um, to be better. And, uh, you know, I just want to I just want to say that. Um, I was thinking who and what is Garland Pepper because that's uh, been something that's been asked. So I'm going to tell you in the list that started to happen in my head. But number one, Garland Pepper is biography. Garland Pepper is dialogue. Garland Pepper is friends. Garland Pepper is music. Garland Pepper is science. Garland Pepper is health. Garland Pepper is art. Garland Pepper is learning. Garland Pepper is listening, loving. Garland Pepper is curious. Garland Pepper is history. Garland Pepper is business. 
Garland pepper is biology, sociology. Barland, garland pepper is story. Garland pepper is the spice. That's what I got so far. So that's what I'm thinking garland pepper is.